Over the last few weeks, we've been in a James series. He's reminded us that our response to the Word of God ought to be very noticeable. Not just something we talk about, but something we live out. It has to go beyond good information, information that I think is even really important to how I actually apply it to my life. And in this case, it's not just about any good information. It is about our response to the Word of God. James says, don't just tell me that you know the Word of God or even really think it's important or believe that it's really true. I want to see how you apply it. I want to see how you flesh it out in your life. That really, to be honest with you, is what tells me that you really believe what you say you believe. Because belief will always manifest itself in behavior. So James says, let me see it. Let me see it fleshed out in your life. Let me see that you really do believe that the Word of God is not only something I receive or understand or think is really valuable or important. Let me see how you flesh it out in your life. Last week, we used the example of the mirror that James used to look at and talked about the mirror of the Word of God and how it affects us or how it impacts us and how we view ourselves through that. I hope that throughout this week, when you looked at your mirror in the morning, maybe you thought about my response to what I see or the things that I need to change or the attitudes that I've been reflecting or maybe need to now reflect. This week, I want to take a step further and look at James' application of that passage of Scripture. We're in James chapter 1. I want to read the whole context, beginning at verse 22. James, New Testament, near the end, after Hebrews, before Peter. Take it out, I want you to be there. James chapter 1, verse 22. Don't merely listen to the Word, so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now he fleshes that out a little bit more and gives some examples. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein in their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our Father accepts is pure and faultless. And it's this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. Verse 26 is the highlight of this morning. Those who consider themselves religious, yet don't keep a rein in their tongues, deceive themselves. Pure religion looks like this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. In this particular context, James is now addressing a very specific group. Those who consider themselves religious. If I were to ask you this morning, do you consider yourself religious? We may all have a different definition of that, but many assume that by the fact that they're in a church. I participate in religious functions. I participate in religious activities. Well, naturally, I consider myself to be somewhat religious. I go to church on a regular basis. I read the Word of God. I sing praise songs. However deep you may feel that religion is, or however you would define that, James is now addressing that group who in some form or the other, or some fashion or the other, consider themselves to be religious or somewhat religious. He says to this image, when you look in the mirror and you see what's looking back at you, there is a certain amount of religious garb that you think is all right. This is what I am wearing. When you look back at that and you seem to think that I'm dressed okay in religious garb, what do you see? What does that look like when you then walk away from that mirror? Let me flesh it out a little bit more. In this verse, 
religious, or religion means ceremonial, public, worship, ritual, or liturgy. The group that he's talking to now specifically are those who by nature are doing what we have done on a Sunday morning. We participate in religious, ceremonial, religious activity. We are in public worship. We do some form of liturgy or the other. The group he's talking about here in this context is most of the ones who are sitting in the pews or seats on Sunday morning. On any Sunday morning in any given church. Those are the ones he begins to talk to and he says, let me talk to you about what I see and what you're revealing when I look in the mirror and you look in the mirror as well. I'll give you an example. Those who consider themselves religious yet don't keep a tight ring on their tongues to see themselves and their religious is invaluable or worthless. Next Sunday morning, we're going to share communion. We're going to do it on a Sunday morning basis. What I'd like for you to imagine is that every single one of you are the communion stewards. You see these 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 guys come down, they'll take the tray and they'll begin to serve it back. Imagine in your mind, and this example that James, I believe, is giving here this morning, is that every single one of you are the communion stewards. You've come down front, you've picked up your tray, you're beginning to take it back and pass it among the aisle. What you're doing is very reverent, and you know that, you sense that. You know you want to do it right, you know you want to do it correctly. You want to do it well, you, you, you serve it carefully, you serve it reverently. Nothing wrong with doing that at all. It ought to be done carefully and reverently. But what if, as you handle it very carefully in the service and make sure that everyone receives it and you're doing it very respectful and very reverently, what if, before you got to church on that Sunday morning as you were giving out that tray, you had ripped into your spouse or ripped into your children verbally? What if, before the service... You were out in the lobby trashing a friend. What if before the services you passed out those elements, you were sharing a piece of information and passing on a piece of information about someone that you weren't even sure was true? What if you were complaining about everything that you didn't like, about other what was going on in here or wherever that may be, and then came in here and then began to carry out that very religious function? James would say, can I ask you just for a minute to back up? Set the tray down for a moment. Take a real good look at what you see. For those of you who are carrying out religious activities on a Sunday morning, and then either rip your children apart or rip your spouse apart verbally, or trash a friend or pass on information that you don't believe is true, or look at life in a negative way, vantage point about everything that goes on maybe you ought to back up a little bit instead of carrying out those religious functions and then doing the opposite of that maybe you ought to begin to look at yourself inside a little bit because maybe it's just me James would say but I don't see how those two are going together you're carrying out a religious function you're participating in worship but what I am seeing and what I have heard or what I may be overhearing doesn't seem to match. It doesn't seem to correspond with the function that you're carrying out, the example I give about passing out communion. Or it seems that you're pretending to be something you're not. You see, the cup and the bread not only symbolize my relationship with Jesus Christ, 
represents the body and blood of Jesus. And every time I hold it, I recognize that. We'll talk a lot about that next Sunday morning. They also symbolize my relationship with those in the body of Christ. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we often refer to in 11 and 12 about communion and the setting that goes with that is talked about within the context of the body of Christ. How we talk about one another, how we encourage one another, how we care for one another. They symbolize not only my relationship with Jesus, they symbolize my relationship with the body of Christ. And one of the things that James wants us to do is take a real hard look at how we talk about one another, whether inside or outside the family of God. James would seem to say that that religion is not about only the stuff we do on Sunday, singing and teaching and sharing and serving communion or handing out bulletins. It's more about how we talk about one another and whether or not we stand in stark contrast with those who don't know Christ. Anything less than that would seem to be a double standard. You know, I'm a Max Licato fan, and one of the books that I love to read and I've reread re-read before is In the Grip of Grace. And he does a whole thing on Romans, which is a, a powerful book on what real grace looks like. He begins just with the opening illustration about talking about his own religious garb that sometimes he puts on. He said, I was very proud of my religious garb. I put it on on a regular basis. And matter of fact, I paraded it around for everyone to see. Anyone who talked about what I looked like and how my, my, my ideas and convictions and my religious fervor was all woven together in this religious garb. I was proud to display it. I couldn't wait for someone to ask me what it looked like and what it was all about. Surely God was impressed with my, my garments, my religious opportunities, all the things that I did, all that I had. I shredded into his presence one day and I talked about my self-tailored wear. But he was silent. I convinced himself that he must okay with what I'm wearing. Then my wardrobe began to suffer. The fabric of my works and my best efforts began to unravel right in front of me. No, no problem. I thought I'd work harder. But working harder wasn't a problem. Over the next few months, my wardrobe of self-righteousness began to unravel. I went from a gentleman's apparel that was tailored fine to beggar's rags. Fearful that God might be angry at my tailored suit or my tattered suit, I did my best to stitch it together and cover my mistakes. I wanted to make sure everyone knew that what I was wearing was okay. But the cloth was so warm and the air was so cold, so I went back to God. On a wintry afternoon, I stepped into his presence, not for applause, but for warmth. I feel naked, I said. You are, he responded. You've been that way for a long time. And what he did next, I'll never forget. I have something to give you, he said. He gently removed the remaining threads and picked up a robe, a regal robe, and clothing of his own goodness and placed it around me, and he wrapped it around my shoulders. His words were tender. Now, my son, you're clothed with Christ. Though I sung the hymn a thousand times, I finally understood it. Dressed in his righteousness alone. is the only way I'll stand before the throne. Self-righteousness is one of the things we said last Sunday morning that needs to be put off. And then when I began to look at my face in the mirror and recognize that I'm going to probably carry out some religious function this morning, I want to make sure that I put on what Christ would want me to put on so that when I'm displaying it or I'm participating in it or I'm actually doing it, It is the garb of compassion and tenderness. The garb of mercy and kindness. 
James is going to talk a lot over the next few weeks about the tongue and the power of the tongue. Suffice it to say that the bridle of the tongue here doesn't mean to gag it. It means to control it. It's about the kind of words that come out. Proverbs writer says the tongue has the power to give life and the power to give death. Which is why the James writer said, religion looks like this. One piece of that is you understand the power of what it is that you do and the power of what you say and how that comes out and how they ought to match and how they ought to intertwine. Because you and I, with the context of our tongue or the verbs that we use or the words that we use, ought to stand in stark contrast to a world that tears people apart and puts people down. And then he takes it to another level, a little bit step further. Let me tell you a little bit more of what I think faith looks like. Not even what I think faith looks like. James is writing for God or on God's behalf. The scriptures are God-breathed. And so James gives us a, a little bit more of an example of what religion looks like. It's not about only the things we do on a Sunday morning. It's not about all the functions we carry out. Religion that God really accepts, the religion that our God and Father accepts that is pure and faultless, is this. To look after widows and orphans in their distress. These verses are not about giving a few dollars to a homeless person or when a need comes out and the offering envelope comes by at work or whatever that may be and I drop in 10 bucks and, and I give to the United Way or I walk by a homeless guy and I reach into my pocket and I got a dollar and I put it in a bucket and I walk on by. It's a lot more than that. What is an orphan in biblical days would die if no one cared for them. And so he uses them as one of the most obvious examples. They're helpless. And they can't pay you back. And they can't do a thing for you. Those are the ones, he says, are, are the ones that, that God notices when you respond to that. Those who can't pay you back, who don't acknowledge what you've done, who don't give you the opportunity to write it off on a checklist of how I felt good about what I've done. Those are the ones, he said, I, I'd, I'd love for you to display your religion to. And it's not about why they are there. So often when we talk about the helpless or the homeless or the struggling or, or, or the orphans or the mom who doesn't know what to do with that child who, who is pregnant now with a second one and doesn't know what to do, and I, I find so often that we spend more time trying to evaluate why she's in this state as opposed to what I can do. It's not about why they're there. It's about what we do. It's about how we respond to the needs of other people. It's how we treat those who are less fortunate, how we view those who are down and out, who are really hurting. It's more about our view of so much of the world's population who has so much less than the majority of us sitting in the room. You know and I know that as we look around this room, regardless of where we are in the socioeconomic status or level, you know and I know that all of us in this room are miles above the majority of the world around us. It's not even about going on a mission trip and spending a week with the poor, as wonderful as that is. It's an incredible opportunity to, to join Bob on one of these adventures. And it will change your life, but hopefully it changes your life more than that week. There's some people that go on a mission trip so they can feel good for one week of the year about what I do to the poor or what I do to those less fortunate than me and how it begins to affect me from that point on and how I look at the world around me. 
It's not about doing something one week of the year or one event that stands alone in time. But it's more about my attitude about life and people. And in this case, those who don't have near what I've been blessed with. Could be bringing in food today and what you did on a regular basis. It could be working in a nursery. It could be working in Katie's kitchen. It, it could be the way I look at the guy on the street on my way to the Steeler game. Because you know and I know you pass them, especially if you walk from the north side down to where the stadium is. It's about how I view that guy and whether I argue as to whether or not I have a dollar in my pocket or why he got where he got or is he really that desperate or does he really have that big of a need. And it's not just about doing things. It's about how I look at others. Maybe about how I look at those less fortunate or, or that girl who was in the video who absolutely and a vivid reminder of the gal that gave incredible little boy to my son-in-law and my daughter. And how everybody or anybody else may have viewed her. Sandra talked about safe families. I think it's one of the incredible opportunities that we have as a family of God that was described a moment ago in regards to children who are in difficult situations with a family or a mom or a widow or a single mom who doesn't know what to do and we, we, we don't want the state to take care of them. Nothing wrong with some of our organizations, but I'm just saying to you, you don't want the state to take care of some of these kids that the church could respond to. We could be one of those safe families. You could be one of those safe families who for the next few days or few weeks take that, that mom or that single mom or that widow who doesn't know what to do, who's been left in a widow form, who has now these two children that she doesn't know what to do with them and respond in some way and open up your home for a week or two or, as she said, uh, uh, and on an average of only a month, maybe for a lifetime. But to say, I could do that. I could open my home up and, and allow this child, instead of children's use of services, taking them away and not sure where they're going to go, they could come to our house. They could come to our home. They could be a part of our family. We could walk them through that time. It's not about just simply what we do. It's also how we look at others. Maybe how we look at those less fortunate. You know, I read, I, I love to read books. I encourage you to read every time you sit, every time you have the opportunity to do so. Two of the ones that came across my, my desk, uh, I think Billy gave it to, to Connie. Connie gave it to me and said, you've got to read this book. Now, she reads a book a week and says to me, you've got to read this book every week. But when she said this one, I just was captured by it. Number one, it said, what, uh, same kind of different as me. Now, that title in and of itself is going to attract some attention. Same kind of different as me. We have these for sale in our library today. This book could change your life. I don't always say that about every book, but this book could change how you look at others. There's a book written by Ron Hall in Denver Moore. Ron Hall is a wealthy businessman in Fort Worth, Texas. Denver Moore is a poor African-American man who grew up 100 years after the Civil War but still lived in poverty and in slavery. And how God in his unbelievable way brought their story and their lives together and intertwined them. God has used their story in amazing ways and they've ended up writing another book about all the impact of their story and what difference do it make. I'm telling you, you have the opportunity to read these books. They will really change how you look at the rest of the world around you and how you look at people who do not have what we've been blessed to have. One of the stories in What Difference Does It Make is when Denver and 
Ron are now together going back into the homeless context of where he spent a lot of his time. Now, as Ron has been dramatically changed, desiring to minister to those around him. Find themselves one day going back down to where they came from and he wants to give out a few hundred dollars that he has in his pocket so he begins to distribute to a number of people. They come across one man as he finally is in his last 20, just desperately, as Ron says, wanting to bless others and maybe help out the homeless once in a while, and he has that in parentheses. I wanted to make sure they understood that I cared. I really did care. I wanted to help them out in some way. I wanted to see what I could do to change them. And then one day I find myself down with Denver in the streets of Fort Worth, stopping on a crisp afternoon, pretending I'm Santa Claus, giving out $20 bills. I had one left. Turned the corner and found a Hispanic man who I thought looked drunk. In his 50s, gnarled hands and brown skin. Pretty sad to see him in a situation like this. But I walked over and said, what can I do? I didn't quite catch what he said, so I asked him to repeat it. Denver said to me as he looked over my shoulder, he needs some money. I'm not going to give this drunk a $20 bill. And I began to reach in my pocket for some smaller change. Suddenly Denver leaned in and I could feel his breath in my ear. Don't you judge that man. Just give him that $20. Reluctantly, I handed out the money, and the man took it. Denver and I bid farewell and headed down the street toward the mission where we worked. Hadn't gone 30, years, 30 yards when he turned me around. He said, I want to tell you something. That man you just gave that money to, his name is Jose. And he's not drunk. He's a stroke victim. One of the hardest working men I've ever known began to tell me how the stroke got him down and how he was a hard-working bricklayer and a rock mason who lived very cheaply to send his money back to his family to try to support them. He don't even drink, Mr. Ron. Depends on people like you. Denver completed his verdict and gave me then an ultimatum. He said, you know what you did? You judged the man without knowing his heart. And I'm telling you something. If you're walking these streets with me, you've got to learn to serve these people without judging them. You let God be the judge. We have a lot of groups that come every now and then on holidays or Thanksgiving and Christmas, Denver went on to say. Ain't nothing wrong with that except it's the homeless feel like there ain't nobody special unless there's a special day. I can't figure out why folks go all year long reaching out to a, without reaching out to a brother or sister except on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. It's almost like a light goes on, a sign lits up in their head and says, it's Thanksgiving, I've got to serve God. Christmas, I need to do something fun. I need to do something to help somebody else out. What about when it ain't Thanksgiving and Christmas? You know, there are people who are hungry on other days besides those. People need shoes on other days besides Christmas. God treasures the things we do, not because it's a special day or it's a special time. It's just because you want to serve Him. That's what's in your heart. When you're reaching out to folks, especially those who can't do anything for you, you need to ask yourself, are you doing it for you or for God? Because there's a lot of people that find themselves saying they're doing it for God, but really doing it for them. So they can feel better about themselves every once in a while. If you're serving down here expecting something back, you ain't going to get it, he said. Because they don't have nothing to give. If you're doing it so that they can think you're something, <laughs> then you got your reward. Then give yourself credit for what you've done. I ain't no way about to read God's mind except it's a Part of his business, I believe, of making Christmas for special for somebody every day. You see, if all the Christians, I mean all of them, got out of their pews on Sunday and into the streets, we'd shut hunger down. We'd shut the orphanages down. We'd shut down hunger. We'd shut down loneliness. 
which shut down the notion that there are any such thing as a person who don't deserve a kind word or a second chance. James would say true religion is not only about singing songs or serving communion. It's about our attitude toward people and about people. You want to know the one that God accepts? It's not just how you serve or what you do or how you sing or how you teach. As wonderful as all of those are, please don't misinterpret them. But the kind of religious activity that God loves to see is the kind that comes from inside, that genuinely, really wants to care for those who are less fortunate than us, and for most of us in the room, maybe all of us in the room. That's a lot of folks. Son is going to be out back this morning after the service, and, and I'd love to know that, that a lot of people really thought differently and think differently about how they view their home situation and maybe how they could help, how they could encourage. Safe Families is one of the great opportunities that we have to, to open our home up to people who are maybe going through a crisis for a period of time. What you do for the lighthouse or how we serve the lighthouse, how we minister to them, how we uh, bring food in on a regular basis, not because I get anything out of it, because I enjoy doing it. The 270-some boxes that you all put together over the last few weeks that we gave to Operation Christmas Child, you'll never see that child's face personally and maybe until you get to heaven, but hopefully you did it because you really wanted to be involved in somebody else's life beyond your own. A couple of weeks ago I had the opportunity to be a part of a groundswell effort in Butler community called Shelters of Hope, which is a lady who had a, 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 a girl who was pregnant, didn't know what to do with a pregnancy who she knew was on drug. Walked through that kitchen they have at First United Methodist Church, having no place to go. And the girl who's in charge of it is, said, I called as many organizations as I could, and they all had restrictions as to where she could go and what she could do. And finally, when somebody found out a week or two later that she had lost a child, they said, well, good. No reason to bring another child into her world. Then I thought, is that how believers in Christ who are followers of Jesus ought to respond? And I determined that there would never be another girl walk through these streets who didn't have a place to go. So she's been contacting churches and organizations around the community to establish what's going to be called Shelters of Hope, which in this community in Butler, there is no mission. Phenomenal one in Newcastle, but we don't live in Newcastle. <laughs> we live in Butler. All kinds of ways that we can find ourselves involved and connected. Find ourselves just simply applying what he says, genuine religion that God loves to see. It's a kind that really does reach out, that goes beyond the walls of any community of believers to that community out there who desperately needs love and grace and help. Matthew West is a songwriter and a singer. A video I'm going to show as we close this morning. He takes this concept, as only God could do, of a man looking in a mirror and then how he responds to that based on what he sees around him. And then we'll close. In my own 
out my window I saw cardboard signs that helped this homeless widow And just above that sign was the face of a human I thought to myself God what have I been doing So I rolled down the window and I looked her in the eye Oh how many times have I just passed her by I've been wrestling with this text for three weeks. You've heard it for 30 minutes, and I understand that. All I ask is ask God, how do you want me to look at my world, and what will I do different? Father, I thank you for the power of your word. It is absolutely captivating and powerful. It allows us to see who we are, 
and what we need to change. Maybe for a lot of us in this room, not much. Maybe for others in this room, a lot. And I just ask in the name of Jesus, by the power of the word of God, that you will continue to speak, help us to look at our lives and the world around us and how we respond to what we see. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sandra will be outside these center doors to my left. If you want to talk to her or find out what God can do in your life or through her ministry, I'd love for you to do that. God bless you. Some need prayed for this morning and anointed. I'm going to ask you to come down and uh, the elders could come. I would appreciate that.